Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Lesson text this morning comes from Romans 13. I'll be reading verses 4 and 5. New King James. <clears throat> for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. You may be seated. Good morning. I want to make sure this works. I usually have problems with our slides, so I'm making sure that it works this morning. Um, good morning. Welcome to our Sunday morning services here at uh, Glendale Road Church of Christ. I'd like to start uh, before the lesson today. Um, I don't normally have this opportunity and I can't pass it up. I know that Gary mentioned earlier that today is transition day um, for all of our young kids, but it is also transition day on on our younger end for our youth group, uh, for those that are seniors that are graduating uh, to our C20 group, to our college and 20-something group. And I would just like to take a moment and invite you and encourage you to come and join us. I'd also like to say, uh, to those that may be uh, of college age, doesn't matter if you're in school or not, um, those who are college age or those who are 20-something that don't have a class right now, uh, we would love to welcome you to our class at any time. Summer is a great time for you to come be with us. Um, it's our downtime, it's a smaller group, um, and it's just an easy transition, so we'd like to invite you. Also, though, I can't say that without saying if you uh, are transitioning from 59 to 60 years of age, uh, I would also like to encourage you and invite you to come to our Young and Hearts class every uh, Thursday at 10.30 a.m. I also teach that class. Um, and we have a great group of men and women. Um, and again, we have that class every Thursday, and I would love to encourage you to come and be with us if you can. Now, saying that, uh, along the lines of Young and Hearts. In our Young and Hearts class, um, we have started a study called The Commands of Jesus, as you can see up here on the screen. And in this study, we are looking at Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. Um, most of you will know that is the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Um, and what I like to term, I call it the blueprint for life. It's God's absolute moral truth. It's Jesus explaining the, what's right and what's wrong and the law as it's supposed to be. And basically, the each step-by-step of how to live our lives. And we've started studying that, and I want you to know that today is not a class that I've already done uh, in any way. This is something new just for today. But as we've been studying that, I've been looking at the scriptures, uh, basically, obviously, through both of those chapters. But one scripture in general has stuck out to me, which is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 39. You can turn there with me if you'd like to. I'm going to have most of these scriptures up here, but I, I love for you to follow along in the scriptures as well if you would like to. But I'm going to read the first part of that verse to you. The first part says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. Now, most of us remember the last part of this verse because honestly, in, it, in it, what it says, but really that second part of the scripture is the slap in the face 
um, that is so hard for all of us. Um, because we know that in the second part of that, it tells us if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, that we are to turn the other side to them and let them slap us again on the other side. And that is such a hard thing for any of us to do. And it's, it's one of the reasons that that's why we remember the second part of that scripture so much. And in context of Matthew chapter 5, 39, 40, 41, 42, you'll see it uh, right here on the screen as well, that Jesus is speaking very personally to all of us. Uh, in a very personal way, he's telling us that we need to humble ourselves uh, as Christians uh, in situations that deal with our dignity, that deal with our security, that deal with our liberty, and that deal with our property in that section. Um, and that is a very important concept. And I'm going to bring this back up when I come to the end of the sermon today. But again, I want to go back and focus on the first part of that verse. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Now, I start, if I've told you this before when I stand up here, I start asking myself questions when I read verses. First question I ask, a very simple question, does that mean that we don't resist evil people? Now, I know that we could ask a two-year-old in this room, do we resist evil? And they would say, yes, of course we resist evil. But then I thought to myself, in what way? In what ways are we as Christians supposed to resist evil? And so I want to share with you two ways that we are supposed to resist evil as Christians today. And the first one that I'm going to talk about, um, I'm going to go through it really quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But again, I am going to come back around to it in the very end. So I would like for you to, if you can, to remember this part of it so that it, as we come to the end, um, it will make sense. But in the first description in which we are supposed to resist evil, we are supposed to resist evil within the church. There's two sections of scripture that I'm going to give you if you would like to do your own self-study. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, and, uh, 1 through 12 is a good section of a very specific sin. Uh, Paul here says in verse 6, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He goes on in verse 10 to talk about how we as Christians are supposed to spend time in a loving, kind way, in a Christian way, which is very important, with people um, who are sinners of the world, people that uh, are not Christians, and to help them understand the good news, and to share love with them, and to be a good example to them. But in verse 11, he gives us the description of how we're supposed to resist evil. In 11, and again, very importantly, he says basically that habitual and unrepentant brothers and sisters in Christ, that again is very key. Somebody who is sinning in their life and they say, I, I don't care what you say, I'm gonna keep doing whatever I wanna do. We are called as the church to remove that kind of evil from among us. And the reason we are called to do that is because it can become a cancer. It can spread like wildfire through our church. And he tells us about that. And he goes on in verse 12 and 13 and he explains to us basically that we are to be accountable to each other inside of the church and let God judge those who are on the outside. Now, another scripture that you can look at as well uh, with this concept is Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 21. And Paul, being the perfect person for this, he has to withstand Peter. That means he's accountable to him. Peter is letting his want to be light overrule his faith. Basically, Peter is eating with the Gentile Christians until the Jewish Christians show up. And when the Jewish Christians show up, he says, I'm not going to eat with the Gentile Christians anymore. And Paul has to stand up to him. And he says, this type of hypocrisy, you can't do this. Because again, it becomes a cancer in the church. And just like he says in verse 13, he says, many others are being led astray because of this. Even Barnabas is being led astray because of this thing that you're doing. That is one way in which we are to resist evil in the church. Now again, I'm going to come back to this, so remember this in the end. But um, number one, we are to resist evil in the church. The second way, and the way that I want to spend most of our time today, 
is we are called to resist evil, and this comes through the Scriptures, we are called to resist evil within governmental authority, or you could just use the word people in positions of authority. And we've already read this today, but I'm going to read it with you again. In Romans chapter 13, verse 4 and 5, it says, If you do evil, be afraid, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now he gives us two reasons why. He says, therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, number one, they need to, these people in authority need to step into God's shoes and be wrath here on earth against evil. But in the same way, he says, but also for conscience sake. You saw that the title of the lesson was uh, a comatose conscience, and I'll get to that here in just a minute, but I want you to remember that as well. But you see, we have a problem in our society today. This is nothing new. It's been this way for many years, and it's been this way during Jesus' day as well. But there are many people in positions of authority that do not serve and do not believe in God. Now, there are uh, many that do, and we're thankful for those that do. But there are a lot of people in positions of authority that, that don't serve, and they don't believe in God. Now, why is that a problem? The problem is, is because their understanding of what is right is not based on God's Word. It's not based on what God tells us is absolute moral truth. And that's what we're losing in our society today is absolute moral truth. And it's causing us to live in what we term an antinomianism society. It's a big word that simply means that we are doing away with laws and those who enforce them. And we're especially doing away with God's law by these people that do not follow the word of God and lead us in that way. But the, that's not the main part of what I want to discuss with you today. The main part of this is coming, and it comes through this commentary that I read, and basically a, a five-word sentence that really pricked my heart to begin this study. And I want to read this with you and share. This is what it says. Magistrates and judges. Now, you can take that for the people, the highest positions of office, from the president down to the people who are policemen on the streets. But he says, uh, those are appointed by God to be his instruments for preserving law and order by being a terror to evil. This sounds familiar. We've read this three times already. He says, as Romans chapter 13 says, they are to be a revenger. This is King James. To execute wrath on him that doeth evil. He says, yet the requirements of justice are stifled. And then he uses the word maudlin. I did not know what the word maudlin meant. I had to look that up. Um, and when I looked up the word maudlin, it means emotionally sentimental concepts now prevail. And he said, because of that, our conscience has become comatose. Before I go any further, a lot of you may already have an understanding of what you think the conscience is. For me, it was always something that I've had to study, I've had to look at, I, I've it's just been a question for me. As I think about the conscience, as I think about our soul, as I think about the spirit, all of these things together, what does the conscience lie in that? Now you can use this if you want, and you don't have to if you don't want to. But I've always, and, and I've come to a belief and an understanding that the conscience is the nerve endings of our soul. Our soul is the core of our being. And I believe that God has created us with this ability to understand these, these, these kind of idea, uh, metaphor of nerve endings of the soul, of being able to understand and feel and know what is right and wrong in our lives. And But this guy that I'm quoting from this commentary says, our conscience has become comatose. Like I said, this five-word sentence, it just it shocked me and it made me go down this rabbit hole of study and looking at this. And I thought, what does this mean? What does this look like? How is our conscience becoming comatose? 
And to look at this a little bit deeper, and if you'd like to turn with me, I'm going to go over to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Again, I'm going to have it up here for us to look at. But 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to go deeper into this scripture and bring out a few Greek words to help us understand this just a little bit more. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith. Now, in context, we know that he is speaking in latter times uh, since Jesus has been raised from the dead at home with the Lord in the last days. Some within the church will fall away from the faith. But I also want you to look at this and just understand this in another way. This also has meaning because it's happening every day in our society, in our culture, even here in the United States. Many within society are beginning to fall away just from the idea of faith from the idea of God in our lives. And he, he gives us this idea. Paul gives us this idea and says, many are falling or gonna fall away from faith. Well, how are they gonna do that? He says, by paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. The last part of that scripture in verse two, we know in context he's speaking of false teachers, but let's make this point as well. Anybody, doesn't matter if they're a Christian or not, Anybody who stands out there on the streets and says there is no God or says that the Bible is not truth and the Word of God is not inerrant, if they stand out there, they are a false teacher. They're a false teacher telling false things against the Word of God and against truth. And as we go forward from this point forward, I want you to think of this in this way. I don't want you to think of governmental authority anymore. Okay, for everybody in this room, if, if somebody in government is somebody that you look up to and you look at all the time and you watch them on Instagram or whatever social media is and so that's fine. But I want you to think of authority from this point on as anybody in your life who has authority over you and what you believe in your actions. It could be a parent, it could be a grandparent, it could be that best friend that you really look up to, that everybody looks up to, and you guys try to follow what they're doing. It could be your favorite musician, could be your favorite actor, could be your favorite person who plays ball in whatever way. And again, you look at them and watch them on social media and you listen to them. This is what I want you to envision as we talk about authority going forward because people like this have these huge platforms with lots of people and, and lots of ways to be able to share what they believe in. And they can influence us in a lot of ways. So I'm going to go back now to the very beginning. We said, in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. How is it going to happen? Let's break down a couple of these words. By paying attention. Now, in the Greek, paying attention is a little different than what we would look at paying attention is today. Um, just imagine if somebody was walking out of this room right now and they had a bunch of stuff in their hands and they tripped as they were getting ready to go right out the door and it was just big old bang, slamming noise what would we do? Every one of us would turn our heads and pay attention. It would probably last for four or five seconds, maybe some more, maybe some less, and then we would turn back. If, you, if I was talking to you and, and you said, hold on a minute, I'm paying attention to my phone, you could likely, in about 10 to 15 seconds, you could be paying attention to 10 different things, right? It's, it's our paying attention, our ability to do so is so different than what it used to mean. When they said paying attention, in the Greek, they used the word prosiko, and that word meant to assent to, to devote oneself to, or to cling to something. The word cling in any other scripture in the Greek means the word for glue. So someone glues themselves to something. But the second one is what made the most uh, impact on me, to devote oneself to. Now I really want you to think about this for a minute. And it's, it's sad, 
But think about all those positions of those people in positions of authority that I talked to you about just a few minutes ago. People that you listen to or look at out there um, with their varying beliefs. There are so many people out there in the world in these positions of authority that have devoted their entire lives to anything and everything in opposition of God's word. And you know it. You see it. It's who they are. That's what they've made themselves into. They've devoted their entire lives to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. And it's sad because you and I know that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. You and I know that He's sitting at the right hand of God. You and I know that God is with us right now. As Christians, when this life is over, we will go home and be with the Lord. We know the truth. The sight's been revealed to us. But so many people out there in these positions of authority, they have devoted themselves to lies. And it's sad. And it's heartbreaking to see this. But they're leading people astray. And we have to be very careful with this as well in our lives. But he says that word, paying attention, prosiko. They devote themselves to. Then the second word, deceitful spirits. Now, this is a little different. It's a little confusing. But stay with me. The deceitful spirits is the word for planos. The word planos in the English dictionary is planet. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Deceitful spirits, planet. Well, you've got to understand the way the Greeks looked at this word planos. Planos, when they looked at that word and thought of the planet, they thought about wandering all over the planet. That's how they envisioned it, as action, wandering around to different places. And so when the scripture is being written here, what it means is that demons are called deceitful spirits because they cause mankind to wander from the orbit of God's truth. I have a little bit of a simple visual aid for us today. Um, just, I was thinking about this orbit and the orbit of God's truth and how we as Christians are to be orbiting God's truth at all time. And I just put the simple orbit of the sun and, and us um, as the planet orbiting around. And so just envision God as the center and us as the outside orbiting. This idea of these deceitful spirits wandering from God's orbit, it's like that white line at the top. It's, or, it's wandering away from, from the truth of God. And I ask you today, as Christians, have you begun to wander from the orbit of God's truth? It can happen. And it can happen in three different ways. First of all, it can happen to us individually. And we don't even know it at times as we begin to drift from God's Word. Maybe it's somebody in a position of authority out there in the world that's telling us all these things and all these lies and these doctrines of demons. And we're just like, I like them. I kind of like what they're saying. And we start heading that way. But secondly, and this one's one that I talk to our C20 group a lot about. And I think it's important. Um, it's the church. Um, in a perfect world, I think it would be amazing if all of our C20 group, all of these college students and young adults, they could, they could all stay here. They could live right here in Murray. They could get jobs here and they could go to church here. They are wonderful uh, young adults and they are amazing. They'd be an amazing part of this church. But the truth is we know that many of them are going to move away. They're going to go to different churches. And I tried to warn and tell them, I said, go to a place that you like. Go to a place that you, you, know, you like the people and they're nice and it's wonderful. But make sure that that church is teaching the Word of God and staying close and connected to God's Word. Make sure that church is orbiting God's truth. And it's a good self-check for all of us. I trust in our ministers. I trust in our elders. And I believe that we are following the Word of God. But it's easy for churches at times to begin to drift off to just wander off the truth a little bit. Maybe somebody they love so dearly within the church is headed down a wrong path and, they, and emotionally we want to help them. We want to be nice and kind and we're not accountable. And we begin to wander off a little bit. It's a good self-check for all of us. 
we got to make sure we're orbiting God's truth at all times because we can get pulled away and not even know it. And the last way in which this can happen, obviously, is within our society. And I think all of us can just imagine for a minute how far has society wandered off of the orbit of God's truth. I think everybody might have a little bit of a different line, but we all would agree that we have wandered from the orbit of God's truth. Now, that's conscience become comatose. But I think the most important question is how? How has our conscience become comatose? How has our country, our society, and the world's conscience become comatose? I have studied this. I've prayed about this. I've been doing this for months now, trying to really consider this. And I truly believe the number one way, number one most important way that uh, of how our society and, and how people are becoming comatose in conscience is this right here. By removing the belief that mankind has a sinful nature. I didn't say by removing sinful nature. I said by removing the belief that mankind has a sinful nature. Think about it for just a minute. Matthew chapter 9, verse 12 and 13. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I really hope that everybody in this room is physically healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, but I know that's not true. I know a lot of times, and I want to say this before I go any further, I'm going to put my C20 hat on. I'm not a, I guess I am a youth minister in ways, but I want to put my youth hat on. I want to talk to every young adult, every youth in this room right now, very specifically. This is the most important part of my lesson today, and I really want you to listen to me about this right here. Again, I say... I hope everybody's well, healthy, feels good. I know that's not the case with everything, but a lot of times with young people, you feel like you're invincible. But let's be truly honest about one thing. We are all spiritually sick. Now, as Christians, we are saved by God's grace. We are washed clean by the blood of Jesus. We can have a renewing of our mind. We all know that. But we know that as long as we live on this earth in these fleshly bodies, we are going to have the temptation of sin in these bodies. Paul tells us, I, I want to do so many things, but you know what? I do the exact opposite because of this carnal, fleshly body of sin that I have in my life. And I want us to understand, I want to say that again. Jesus tells us as well. And again, last week we talked about 2 Peter 2.22. 2, again, it's a proverb. Um, a dog returns to its vomit. It's a very descriptive uh, scripture, but it does tell us Sin is an infection. It's a disease. It is a sickness. And again, young people, please hear me. Everybody hear me, but young people, please listen. We do have sin in our lives. It is a real thing. And that is very important that we understand that truth. Because the world says to you and says to me and says to everyone else, there is nothing wrong with you. It is just who you are. It's just your truth. That's what they want you to believe, and that is a doctrine of demon. And I want to explain this to you a little bit deeper. You see, what happens is this. You start to feel tempted by something. Every one of us has perversions of thoughts in our brain about sin and things that we are, we're all different. Different types of temptations, different types of things. And these temptations, they begin to weigh on us sometimes. And maybe let's say that we do something sinful in our life. Well, what happens next? Because we are created in God's image, because God loves us, and, and again, this is a blessing, God has granted us the feelings of guilt and shame. That is a blessing. It is a blessing because inside of us, we need that warning signal to go off. It's like an alarm going off in us saying, this can be something that can be destructive. 
This can break you. This can make you sad. This can bring depression into your life. This can bring addiction into your life. This can bring all kinds of terrible things into your life. And I'm telling you guys, again, everybody but young people in here, if there was somebody to have a doctorate in this, it would be me. I have lived it. I understand it. I know what happens. I know how it feels. And this happened to me in my life. I used to be, and most, a lot of people in here know me when I was a very young kid. I was a very happy kid. I had a wonderful home life. Parents brought me up right. Uh, I was happy as could be. I was always joyous and laughing and, and cutting up. And I got to about my senior year, and I know kids in high school get grumpy. I understand that. But I got to my senior year. I got to my, my college and freshman and so on. And I started chasing after these lies. Maybe sin's not real. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't be feeling guilty and shameful. Maybe it's just who I am. I'm just going to go out and do what I want and have fun. And I began to change. I began to get very quiet. I began to get very down. I began to be more than grumpy, agitated. Um, I began to take things out on my parents that weren't their fault. Um, manipulative and sad and broken in all of these different ways. And the reason that it happened was, again, I started going down this path. I started to sin. And what happens to all of you, it happens to the rest of us, we begin to sin in some way. And those people in positions of authority that you look at on TikTok and that you look at on Instagram and wherever else, they sit out there in the world and they say, hey, there's nothing wrong with you. They believe, many of them, that there is no God, so they believe that there is no sin. They believe there is no conscience, and we don't need a conscience. It's just how you were made, and go ahead and do whatever you want whenever you want. And you're feeling this guilt and shame inside of you, and you're going, I don't understand why I feel bad. If they're telling me I'm great and I'm wonderful and this is just who I am, then why do I feel like this? Why does it hurt so bad? And what do we do? What I did is I repressed it. And if you don't know what repressed it means, it's just simply you shove it down. You just keep shoving down the guilt and the shame, and you push it down, you push it down, because you can't go anywhere. You can't set it free unless you set it free with Christ. But you just keep pushing it down, and you keep weighing it down heavier and heavier, and you keep repeating the sin until you repress the remorse enough. And then we come back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, as we were talking about those false teachers and what happens to them. It happens to us as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2, it starts talking about that hot iron, that branding iron. Um, and the word there for seared, branding iron, it's the word cauterizio or cauterize. Um, for a lot of young people in here, if, if, if you're like me, when I was little, I had nosebleeds all the time. And eventually my parents took me to the doctor because they just kept happening when I was little all the time. And then you go to the doctor, and some of you have had this happen before, and they get out that long stick. And you don't know what it is, but it's coming. And at the end of that long stick, it's basically they push a little button and it burns. It's a fire. It burns. And they put it in there and it hurts. And it burns. But the reason they do that is because there's an open wound in there. And what they do is they sear it. And when they sear it, it turns into scar tissue or dead tissue. Now, just imagine the same way that your parents, mom, dad, have an iron that they're using at home and they're ironing the clothes. They tell you to stay away from that heat, right? Because you put that on your arm and you just let it burn. And then you take it off. It's going to take a while. Eventually it'll heal, but it turns into scar or dead tissue. You can hit it all you want and you can't feel anything. Remember what I said about the conscience? The conscience is the nerve endings of the soul. When authority tells you that sin is not real and you're feeling the guilt and shame and you repress it and you push it down and you push it down and you push it down 
and you believe in what they tell you, but God's trying to warn you. It's like you're taking a hot iron or a branding iron, like for a horse, and you're taking it and you're putting it on the nerve endings of your soul and you're burning them. And you burn them and you burn them and you burn them until basically your soul becomes comatose. It's like you become numb. And again, I've already mentioned myself, but what happens to young people when they basically become numb and they quit caring about what's right and what's wrong? They get quiet, they get down, they get depressed, they get violent. We start to see things that are happening like they're happening in our schools today. We start losing our children left and right. It's because of this. This is it. This is the number one reason because the world wants us to believe. It's, it's the devil's greatest trick of the doctrine of demons. There is no sin. That's what they want us to believe. And we repress this remorse and we self-justify everything until, as Isaiah the prophet reveals to us all, we heard this, I may have heard it last week, Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We begin to live in an upside down world like we live in today, and we are left with nothing but the doctrines of demons in our society. These are just some that I wrote down. I'm not going to read all of them to you, but one that I've just said. Live your truth. There is no perversion. It's just who you are. Traditional values are outdated and irrelevant. Religion is about oppression and control. Christian leaders throughout our nation's history were immoral. Um, college students must be taught not just how to think, but what to think. I talk to them about this all the time. People in position of authority, I hope, a lot have good agendas. I know a lot of professors here have great agendas, but everybody has an agenda, especially professors, and a lot of them have to do with the very last one down there. There are so many people in position of authority today who believe this very last one. Activism for a socially acceptable cause. Notice that. Not God's cause. Socially acceptable cause is the meaning of life. It is one of the biggest doctrines of demons in our world today. But we have an even bigger problem. And the biggest problem of all is that the world is teaching the world to live completely by your emotions. I want to say this one last time, and I want you to see, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of quoting from Isaiah 520 here, how the world's upside down. Look at this. The world, again, wants us to believe that our conscience, a lot of people say God's not real. We know he is. We know Christ is true. But the world will say that he's not. Therefore, they'll say that conscience isn't real, that the soul or the spirit isn't real. They want us to believe that it's a man-made construct of a God that we've made up in our own minds to rule the masses. Now, do you understand at the core of what that is teaching? It is teaching. The world is trying to teach the future generation. The world is trying to teach kids to have a psychopathic mindset. Not that they're psychopathic, to have a psychopathic mindset. Your conscience is not real. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And as Christians, we can see it. Our sight's revealed. But the world out there just believes it. And it is no wonder that the world is so lost today. It is no wonder that there are so many shootings in schools and churches and etc. Um, some of you may know this. I was watching a documentary. I watched it with some of our kids. Um, about the father of Rachel Scott. Some of you may remember that name. He was uh, father of Columbine, the, the young girl. Uh, they, they grabbed her by the hair and said, do you believe in God? And she said, I do, and they killed her. Um, some of y'all may remember that well. He stands in churches and speaks about this. 
And his words, as he spoke about something like this, he said that his generation had failed young people. When it's young people, we need to make changes. He said, as their generation back in 1962, they decided to take prayer out of church or out of schools. And his simple comment after that was, now look what's happened. Look what's happened as we've taken God completely out of schools and what it looks like in our schools today. And it's true. It's no wonder we have so many suicides. I was reading, it's not from last year, but a few years back, I was reading um, in some stats, um, and it said that 400 plus children between 12 and 18 years old had died from cancer in that year. And I thought that is just a terrible statistic. The families, the community, the branches that that spread out to. But then it went on and it said, yet there were 5,000 plus suicides of 12 to 18 year old children in that same year. Let me say this. There is no way to find purpose without God. Believe me, I've tried. There is no way to find purpose in your life without God, to find peace in our lives without God in our lives. It is so true. And young people, you start to believe this, we start to get down, we start to get numb. Please hear me. There's no wonder there's so many fatherless and parentless children. No wonder there's so many people addicted to drugs, churches dying out, abuse in relationships, and broken and divorced homes. Now, last thing I want to say, I'm coming back around to what we talked about in the beginning. You remember when, we, when I said the first way in which we are to resist evil? We are to resist evil in the church. I'm going to step on our toes for just a minute. And believe me that I'm stepping on my toes first, okay? Because I need to stand up and be stronger in this myself. But as the church, we are just as much to blame in this. And let me explain to you why. He went on in this commentary, and one more sentence he said. He said, churches refuse to enforce sanctions and weak at flagrant offenses. Now, I am not speaking at all about our eldership, our deacons, or anybody in that position. Please know that. I know these men. I know how accountable they want to be to you, how seriously they take their positions. But I'm speaking to us, the church. Now, remember what I said a minute ago when I went back to Matthew 5.39. Let me go back just a little bit before that. When we look at Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to talk about this. I'm, I'm going to be here Wednesday night as well and do a brief devotional with you. And I'm going to talk about Matthew chapter 5 at the beginning, how encouraging it is. But in Matthew 5, 13 and 14, Jesus says, we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, the city that is set on a hill. Now again, go back to what I said in the beginning, Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. Remember, um, we are not to resist evil people. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, we are to turn the other cheek to them. If someone wants to sue you, don't just give them your shirt, give them your coat too. These are things that are extremely hard for us. And I want you to understand that I get that, and I understand that in all of us. But now I want you to compare this to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. What if somebody comes to you today and says, look, you did the, you're doing this wrong, you did this wrong, I know that you're going down this path, I want to help you, I want to love you, I want to be accountable to you, I want to do whatever I can. Is our first reaction going to be, thank you, I'm going to humble myself, I'm going to recognize my sin and my faults. I'm going to, please, help me be accountable. Help me get this right. Or is our first thought going to be, you don't tell me how to live. Listen, we want to talk about sin. Let me tell you about your life. What's that plank scripture? Why don't you get that out of your eye? How are we going to respond? 
I'm afraid today we've gotten to a point where we are so scared to talk to one another, where we're so scared to be accountable to one another because we're so worried about what somebody else might do and how they might respond. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to humble ourselves just like Jesus Christ and be willing to work together and be accountable. And the point of me bringing up the city set on the hill, if we're not going to be the example, then why in the world would the world out there and society be any different? We have to be the example. We have to work together. We have to refuse evil or it's never going to change out there. To lower God's standard of justice is to lower God's standard of righteousness. And we know that in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, that Jesus came to fulfill it, not to destroy it. And so lastly, and I, I just want to put this together, I want to speak to Christians and non-Christians alike. Christian, if you are in a room, non-Christian alike, has our conscience become comatose? Has your conscience become comatose? Are you numb? Have you come to a place where you've seared it with a branding iron because we're listening to people of the world, people in positions of authority out there that don't need to be telling us what to do and how to act? And most importantly, are you tired of burying your guilt and shame, living the way that you want to, and feeling worse? A lot of you may know what I'm saying right now. I've done this. A lot of you may be feeling this right now. Living the way you want, doing everything you can, trying everything in the world to feel better, but you feel worse. It's because we've gone down this path. And it's a path that will never end, but it will end in destruction. It's pain and it's heartache. As a 46-year-old man, there is one thing that I want for the rest of my life. There's one thing I've wanted for years in my life. I want peace. I want peace with God. I want peace in my family. I want peace with the church and everyone around me. I just want to feel peaceful. And like I said in the beginning, there is no way to find purpose without God. There is no way to find peace without God. And so, whether you are a Christian and in need of prayer, or if you're not a Christian, come forward today. Repent of your sin. Bring it back up. Repent of it. Turn away from it. Confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Be buried with Him in baptism. But this is the most important part. You come up and you begin. It doesn't end. It begins. And it begins, and we walk that walk of discipleship. It is the only way to peace. It is the only way. If there is anything that we can do for you today, please come forward as we stand and sing.